God's house today? Man, I'm, 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 uh, I said this in the first service. We could almost just pick up and go home after, after all that. I mean, we've already had church up in here, and uh, I'm really excited about just preaching God's Word today, particularly this passage that uh, you probably haven't heard a lot of, a lot of sermons on from Acts chapter 2 uh, and the coming of the Holy Spirit. I started a ser- this series last week called The Spirit-Filled Life or A Spirit-Filled Life. And I started last week to talk about what that means. What does it mean uh, to, be, uh, to be filled with the Holy Spirit? And I don't know, I don't know that as, uh, I, don't, I don't know that we talk about the Holy Spirit as much as we really should, but it's really important. It's important that we learn about the Holy Spirit, that we learn about who He is, and we learn about what He does. The Holy Spirit is a real person of the divine Spirit of God living inside of each and every, every one of us. We talk a lot about God the Father. We see God the Father in the Old Testament clearly thundering from a mountain and giving us His laws and His commands. And we talk a lot about God the Son who we see incarnated and walking among us as pictured in the Gospels. But God the Spirit in Acts, beginning in Acts, and actually beginning uh, right here at Acts chapter 2, where we're about to read today, in Acts we see God the Spirit coming and living permanently in His people. What a great mystery that is. Uh, what a significant gift that God has given to us. And it, all, it, it really all started in this passage in Acts chapter 2. And there are certain activities of the Spirit that we really need to be familiar with in our life. I mean, God does all types of things. And you, you should be aware of the activities of the Spirit in your life in a, in a, in a periodic fashion. I mean, God, He, he does all types of things. First, uh, God the Spirit, he, he convicts us. He gives us that weight of guilt over our sin, or He convicts us in a good way. He gives us, he gives us a resolve about the things that we believe, or a resolve about walking with Him. God the Spirit also, He regenerates us. He gives us new life. He illuminates our minds, or some of us might would say He reveals Himself to us. He, he opens our minds. He turns the light bulb on so that we can understand God's truth. He leads us. The Holy Spirit guides us. We talk a lot about this, about the leadership of the Spirit or the guidance of the Spirit, and also the wisdom from the Spirit. And uh, and places like uh, 2 Corinthians or 1 Corinthians talked about how uh, the Spirit of God opens our minds and gives us wisdom. We talk about the prompting of the Spirit, the comfort of the Spirit, uh, the help of the Spirit. Jesus talked about that a lot. And the gifting of the Spirit, how He equips us or empowers us to serve Him. And there's some things that we can do. I mean, the Holy Spirit is, 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 is sometimes can be sensitive. There's some things that we can do that can grieve the Spirit of God. For example, whenever we sin or whenever there's disunity among the people, it, it makes the Spirit of God sad. And we can, we can feel that, that grief that he, that, he, that he gives to us and that He also feels. We can quench the Spirit just like how we put out a fire when God's at work in us. We can do things that kind of damper the things that God wants to see happen. And all of these, if you think about, I show you this for a reason. All of these things and more, we can, we can load them into that phrase, 
filled with the Spirit, or into that term, being filled with the Spirit. Because whenever the Spirit is active inside of us, we, we begin to understand that being filled with the Spirit is a new, it's like a new reality. It certainly can be certain events at certain periods of time, like I talked about last week, and like we're going to look at this week in Acts chapter 2, but it also, uh, the term spirit-filled, we basically mean that God is active in my life and around me, and I can sense what he's doing. Well, this morning, we're going to read a passage about a group of people who were filled with the Spirit. And we're going to see that this was a specific event and moment in time that they were filled with the Spirit, but we're also going to see that this was something lasting that happened in their life that characterized them being Spirit-filled people their entire life. And what we're going to read in Acts chapter 2 is the beginning, it's an event that is the beginning of something that changed everything with how God relates to His people. Prior to this event, God dealt with and related to his people in a certain way. After this event, in in Acts chapter 2, a lot of things changed. So let's read it together. Let's stand. Acts chapter 2, verses uh, verses 1 through 13, this sudden life-changing event that happened uh, in the lives of these early believers. The Bible says, when the day of Pentecost arrived... They were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues of fire appeared and fell and rested on each one of them. And here's, our, here's, here's the term. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem, devout men of every nation under heaven. And at the sound of the multitude came together, they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not all these speaking Galileans? How is it that we hear each of us in his own native language? Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of of Mesopotamia and Judea and Cappadocia and Pontus and Asia and Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya belonging to Serene and visitors of Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians. We hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of of God. And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? But others mocking said, they're filled with new wine. Let's pray. God, I thank you for the way that you have already sent your presence and your spirit among us. Even today, during this very worship service, as we have sang and praised your name and exalted Jesus, You have been here with us, filling us. Lord, I pray that you would do the same thing, God, through the preaching of your word. I pray that you would build up, that you would encourage, you would instruct. Lord, I pray that you would save. And I offer this prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You can be seated at this time. 
Interesting passage, right? When was the last time you heard a message about speaking in tongues in a Baptist church? Uh, Not something that we talk about very much. Now, our Pentecostal friends, our charismatic friends, uh, obviously they talk about being filled with the Spirit. They talk about speaking in tongues a lot. Now, listen, charismatics and Pentecostals, they are our brothers and sisters in Christ. Uh, One of my very good friends is is a Pentecostal preacher in this town. And we're friends and we love each other, but we do believe a little bit different about what it means to be filled with the Spirit and also a little bit different about this idea of speaking in tongues that we're going to talk about today. But I do think there's a little bit of something that we could probably learn from them and how much they love Jesus and how just passionate they are about loving the Lord. And we're going to be in heaven with them. But I want to let you know up front that I am going to interpret this a little bit different. I bet, for example, this was like this. This was like this sudden change that happened. Just like this. This event. It was just suddenly that happened upon them. I bet you've had sudden life-changing events in your life as well. I, for example, our nation has had sudden life-changing events. You know, the the bombing of Pearl Harbor. You know, a date that will live in infamy. Or uh, how about this, 9-11. 9-11 changed everything. Most of you, uh, uh, most of you probably know, if, if you're old enough, exactly where you were and what you were doing. When that happened, it changed our country. COVID, even though it wasn't as sudden as some of these other events, it changed a lot of things. You, you probably also have had sudden things happen in your life that changed your life. Maybe a medical diagnosis, uh, maybe a car wreck. Uh, like for me, last week, uh, when Kelly told me she was pregnant again, it was a sudden, I'm just kidding, that was a, that was a total joke. <laughs> I had some of you going though, didn't I? I had to make sure that, uh, I had to make sure y'all were, y'all, were, y'all were still, listen man, we in trouble if that happens, I'm just going to tell you. But the first time she got, when we first found out that she was pregnant, oh my goodness, we did not expect to get pregnant uh, our third month of marriage. Not expecting that at all. Changed everything. You can probably think of those moments. Well, there's moments in time in Scripture whenever God would break into history and He would do things just in a sudden moment and things would change. You, you can probably think about some of these things. Moses in the burning bush. Man, that changed everything. Uh, God thundering from the mountain and giving Moses the Ten Commandments. That was a major transition in what people knew about God and how people related to God. Uh, We can think about Abram whenever God called him to leave the country where he was born and go to a, a place that he would show him. Multiple places in Scripture like Jesus in a manger. Man, that changed everything about Uh, Well, just about how God relates to us. Jesus on a cross, major, major sudden, well, not necessarily a sudden change, but a major change. This event at Pentecost, this event that we just read was a major transition in how God would begin to relate to his people. And Luke, the writer of Acts, who... I don't think he was there. He's, he's kind of getting some accounts from people who were there because Luke didn't join the missionary journeys of Paul until getting towards the middle of Acts. Luke tries to, he tries to describe this event. And he uses some words. He said, suddenly, 
from heaven, and he gives all of these these descriptors in verse 1 through 4. Suddenly, there was, there was some, something happened. There was an event during a moment in time, and it was sudden. Something happened, and that something that happened was of divine origin. It wasn't something emotional. It wasn't something that they drummed up. was not something that they planned or dreamed up or expected. Something from heaven took place and happened. And there was some type of auditory manifestation. And it's almost as if Luke is trying to describe it. He said it was like a mighty rushing wind. He didn't say it was wind. He said it was like a wind. And then he said that, there, uh, that it filled the house. And he said these, these tongues or these, these appearances of, uh, of fire, they came and they divided and they appeared. It, it, doesn't, it, doesn't, it doesn't say that it was fire. He says it appeared to be fire. It looked like fire. It was like fire. And even though he could not say exactly what it was, he, he, he knew that, it was, that it, was an, it was an event that involved the filling of the Spirit. This is something completely new. This has not happened before until Acts chapter 2. It had not happened. And what happened here, and this is the turning point, God the Spirit came to permanently live in and indwell believers permanently. That had never happened before. It's happened many times since Acts chapter 2, but it had never happened before where God, God said, and we're going to look at this next week, he said, I'm going to pour out my spirit on all flesh. This is the first time that God the Spirit indwelled every believer permanently and was never to leave. You see, that wasn't the case in the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, the presence of the Spirit of God kind of came and went. And I don't have time to show you all those examples. But the Holy Spirit would come upon certain people during certain times and for certain purposes. Well, now, after the coming of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost in Acts 2, it's permanent and it, he is here for all of us. And while Luke might not totally be able to describe all of the circumstantial details with, with clarity, he does give us specifically what happened to them all. And the Bible says that they were filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, I've entitled, the, I've entitled this whole series Spirit-Filled because that term, filled with the Holy Spirit, was used last week in last week's passage. Uh, it's, it's used this week in this week's passage. It's going to be used multiple times in a lot of passages that we're going to look at as we move throughout the book of Acts. But listen, the word filled is a good word when it's talking about good things. Now, when we're talking about bad things, it's not a good word. I mean, for example, the Bible says don't be filled with wine, that is that which leads to debauchery. Be filled with the Spirit. Being filled with hate is not good. Being filled with wine, being filled with bad things is, is bad. But whenever we're filled with good things, that's good. If my team fills the scoreboard with points, that's a good thing. If my plate is filled with bacon, 
That's a good thing. If my glass is filled with sweet tea, if my marriage is filled with love, those are good things. And the Bible says, God, the Spirit, filled all the believers. God, the Spirit, filled them, all of them, had never, and, and never to leave. That had not happened before, but it has happened a lot since, and it's happened to some of you. Let me give you some clarity about this word filled with the Spirit. Four points I want to talk to you about. I'm going to put them on the screen, and I want you to either take a picture of them, study them later, or write them down. Spirit-filled. This is what it means. It means sometimes in Scripture just to simply be indwelt by the Holy Spirit. Sometimes when the Bible uses that term, that's all that it's trying to say is that this person is indwelled by the Holy Spirit. And then sometimes when the term filled with the Spirit is used, it's used referring to the initial moment that a person is indwelled, which we call the baptism of the Holy Spirit. The baptism of the Holy Spirit is that moment when the Holy Spirit first comes to live inside of you. Baptism in the Holy Spirit, this is important, ba being baptized in the Holy Spirit is not referring to a specific gift of the Spirit. This is where we differ with some of our Pentecostal friends and some of our charismatic friends. We do not believe that being baptized by the Spirit is separated or comes after the point of salvation. We believe that when you get saved, you receive the Holy Spirit and you are baptized with the Holy Spirit and, uh, and that that leads to a life of being Spirit-filled. Sometimes in Scripture... The term spirit-filled just simply means that a person possesses a character that has been shaped by the activity of the Spirit, and it's evident about their life. Uh, Acts chapter 6, deacons, the, uh, what we call deacons, the Bible says that they need to be men full of wisdom and full of the Holy Spirit. This, in other words, the Scripture is saying we want them to have a measure of character. And sometimes... When Scripture uses the term spirit-filled or filled with the Spirit, it's speaking about being empowered by the Spirit, either to verbally witness and share the gospel, to exercise your spiritual gift to build up the church, or the Spirit's presence upon you when you step out in faith and live on mission for God. That word, spirit-filled, can refer to anyone or any number of or all of these things depending upon the context of Scripture. Now, look, I want to show you this. this I love this part. In Acts chapter 2, all four of these happened to the early believers. All four of them happened at one time. All four of them happened at the same time. At the same time, they received the Holy Spirit. They were baptized by the Holy Spirit. They were permanently indwelled by the Holy Spirit. Their character was immediately changed. 
as we're going to see next week, Peter, this guy who in one minute wanted to cut somebody's ear off and in another minute was running away scared, is after he after he's receives the Holy Spirit, he is going to stand up and preach Jesus to the people that preach Jesus to the very people that crucified Jesus. He his character was immediately changed, and we also see them empowered to do something that was not humanly possible. All four of these things happened to these these early Christians in this one in this one event. And especially significant is the empowerment part of this. Let's look at that. Let's look at how they were, they were spirit-empowered. So I highlighted some things for you. I know you can't see all of this. <coughs> Excuse me. I know you can't see all these verses. These are a lot of verses. But it th these verses talk about how they spoke in other tongues. And the tongues that they spoke in were, were from every nation under heaven. I haven't counted up all the languages that were involved, that, that all of these different people involved in, but it says from they, they spoke in other languages because people from every nation under heaven were there, and they heard these apostles, the, these, these Christians, speak in their own language, their own native language language. Now that's important. They spoke native languages that they had never learned. And they even say, we hear them, hear them speaking in our own tongues. This is a miracle of intelligible speech. These Christians never would have been able to do this. There, was, there wasn't enough smarts and brains among them and not enough life experience and time among them to be able to speak all of these languages together. It was a supernatural empowerment where they declared the wonders of God and preached Jesus. And the Bible goes to great lengths to talk about all of these different people. It's significant that the Bible, and we read, I won't read them all again, but the Bible reads about all of these different people groups and all of these different people and every single one of them. They stood back and they were like, all these guys, they're just a bunch of rednecks from Mississippi. They're just a bunch of Galileans. How do they know French and Russian, and how do, how, do they, how, do they, how do they know all these languages? I mean, that's, that, it, that's what it would be like. It would be like us going on a mission trip and, and preaching the gospel in a native language that we had never really learned. And that, that's what happened with them. Now, let me just say quickly, there, there is a spot in Scripture uh, in Corinthians that talks about unknown tongues, that's not really what we see in the book of Acts. That's kind of a different topic, kind of related to a gift of the Spirit. And some people say that gift is still operable today. Some people say, no, that gift uh, was only operable back then. To me, uh, it's kind of a tertiary issue, and it's not something that determines whether you're in heaven or not. That's not even, we don't even see unknown tongues that require an interpreter uh, as in, first, as in uh, the book of Corinthians. We don't, even, we don't even see that in the book of Acts. In the book of Acts, we see languages. You, know, you can just use that term. We see languages. We don't see 
tongues as in the gift of tongues, we see languages, people speaking in other languages. And here's the point. God gave Christians the power to accomplish the work of the kingdom. He did it back then, and he's still doing it today. He is still filling and empowering us to live godly lives, to do his work, and to make it through life. He is still giving us that power. We need the Holy Spirit of God. You will not be godly without the work of the Holy Spirit in your life. I don't care how committed you are. I don't care how hard you work. You must have the Spirit of God if you are going to be godly. You will not successfully do the work of the kingdom and live on mission without the Spirit of God. You will not build up God's church through your abilities and your giftedness and just your raw service to him, washing the, 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 washing the feet of the saints. You need the Holy Spirit of God in order to, in order to accomplish these things. And if, if there's a message that we can see in the book of Acts is that God gives Christians the power to do these things. And let me, make a, let me make a statement that you might find shocking. This event in Acts chapter 2 is repeated in the life of every single person that gets saved. Are you surprised to hear me say that? You shouldn't be. This event, listen, not the situational details. You may say, I've never seen fireballs from heaven. No, I have to know what I'm talking about. You may say, I've never, even, I've never heard wind during a prayer meeting that, that filled, you know, you, that's, that's all right. You may say, well, I've certainly, never, I've certainly never spoken in another language, not talking about that. This process of them being filled with the Spirit and empowered to be godly, to love the Lord, and to work for God. This event of being filled with the Spirit, being indwelled by the Spirit permanently, being baptized by the Spirit, this event is repeated in the life of every single person who is truly a Christian. You say, well, I've never felt anything like that. We're not talking about your feelings. We're talking about your faith. There's something about your faith that when it becomes operative, it informs your feelings. Amen? We're not led by feelings. If you're just led by feelings, it might just be your overdone potato from the night before. We're talking about a faith and a God that says he lives inside of you. Do you believe that? Do you believe that? Somebody better say amen. Y'all ain't hearing me. Somebody say Amen. I mean, God lives inside of you. If you're truly a believer, you have been indwelled by God. You have been baptized in the Holy Spirit. You have experienced change in your life. You are becoming godly. You have power to serve. You have, you have power 
to, to present the gospel verbally. You have power to build up people in this church. You have power to live on mission because of him, not because of you. You know, I always cringe. I always cringe when someone says, well, I've been walking with the Lord for this long, and I've been doing this, and I'm able to do that, and I have these degrees, and yeah, I have a lot of experience in, you know, teaching classes or leading mission trips or doing ministry, and you know, I always cringe, always cringe. I always want to think in my mind, I'll pass. You want me to tell you the people that God's looking for? The people that, people that God's looking for are saying, I, I, I can't do this. There's no way I can do this. Are you crazy? What in the world am I, what am I going to do in South Asia? What am I going to do in Romania? What in the world? Lord, I can't go out and tell people. I can't, I can't speak the gospel. I don't know enough. And when I hear people say stuff like that, when I, I hear people say, oh, I just, I, I don't know, my, my hip kind of bothers you're the perfect person. When I hear people say, oh, I'm just scared to get on an airplane, I'm like, you're the perfect person. When someone says, man, I'm just terrified of going to other cultures, you are perfect for the job. Well, I mean, look, look through all, all, all Scripture. We don't see people who are qualified. We don't, listen, we don't see people who are confident in themselves doing God's work. We see people that feel completely unqualified and God using them in an amazing supernatural way. So if, if, if you feel like that you're not qualified, you are exactly the person that God has his eye on. And when he does something through us, it should get everybody's attention. Look at this last part. Bewildered amazed, astonished, perplexed. This is what was going on in the hearts of people who did not receive the filling of the Holy Spirit. This is what, from their perspective, they were like, what in the world is going on here? They saw something that was just different. They saw something that to them seemed crazy. In fact, they, they accused him of being drunk. They said, look at all these, look at all these drunk people, man. It's, it's early in the morning, and they're, they're, they're all, they've already filled themselves. There's something wrong with these folks. And other people were like, man, you, gotta, you have to tell us what in the world is going on here. They were, they were drawn in to, 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 to what was happening. It's significant, that, it's significant that this event happened on the day of Pentecost. There are three big feasts that people from all over the world would travel to Jerusalem for. One of them was called Passover. It happened a month or so before this feast, Pentecost. Do you remember what happened at the Passover that preceded this Pentecost? Jesus was arrested, he was crucified, and he rose from the dead. Why did God do it on Pentecost? Because he wanted a lot of people around from all over the world to see it. Well, excuse me, why did he do it? Did I say Pentecost? Passover. He did that on Passover because he wanted a lot of people to see it. Same with Pentecost. People traveled from all over. They came from Jerusalem. And God did this at Pentecost because he wanted people to see it. 
And he, wa he wants people to see something different about your life as well. He wants you to be filled with the Spirit to the point to where people who don't have the Spirit look at you and are like, man, that guy's crazy. I mean, read about it in, 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 the, in the book of Corinthians. It talks about how people, with, people without the Spirit of God think the things of the Spirit are foolish. We sh in a certain extent, we, sh we should be fools for the Lord. People should look at our lives and just, and just be amazed at, at, at the things that we do. If an unbeliever who doesn't have the Spirit of God looks at you and thinks, oh man, that guy's just like me, except he's a Christian. Isn't there something wrong with that? Isn't there something wrong with us looking like everyone else and blending into the world like everyone else? Shouldn't the Spirit of God be doing something in us and among us and around us that bewilders and amazes and astonishes and perplexes people? They should see something different about us. What if we were so filled with the Spirit that the lost people of Cookville were like, man, these Christians in Cookville, man, there's something going on with these folks. I mean, they're doing things that are just, that are just out, outrageous. People, people shouldn't look at, they, sh they should look at us like a cow looking at a new gate. What in the world is going on with these people? See, being filled with the Spirit makes us do things that are just crazy to others. Like Elizabeth Elliot, y'all heard that name? Elizabeth Elliot had her husband killed in 1956 in Ecuador. Her husband was going to do mission work in Ecuador and he was speared to death by a tribe there. So what did Elizabeth Elliot do? She took her young daughter and moved back to that same place years later and ministered to and cared for and shared the gospel with the people that had killed her husband. How do you do that unless you're living a spirit-filled life? Or how about, uh, how about Adoniram Judson? Y'all have heard me talk about Adoniram Judson before. I need to do a digest sometime just of his whole life. He buried wives, not just one wife, wives and children in Burma while he was a missionary and still stayed there and still shared the gospel. And he knew it was coming. He, he wrote a letter to his, uh, to his uh, wife-to-be's father and said, hey, you know what? Uh, I'm probably not coming back. She's not probably not coming back. We'll probably die there, but we're giving ourselves up for the sake of the God. Who does that? but someone who is filled with the Spirit. Or how about Stephen in Acts chapter 7? In my, in my imagination, I visualize him laying in this pit and all these hyper-religious dudes uh, surrounding him as he's four or five feet down and then picking up these stones and hurling them at him as hard as they can as they stoned him and his bones breaking and snapping and him writhing in pain. And, and, and rather than asking for mercy for himself... He prayed for mercy for the people that were murdering him. Jesus did the same way. How about Paul and Silas? Beaten and embarrassed and jailed. And what are they doing at midnight? Praying and singing hymns and songs to God. And who was listening? The prisoners. The prisoners were listening. Were, what is wrong with these people? They're filled with the Spirit of God. Many of you give the same testimony, that you've forgiven people who have abused you and used you. How do you do that? 
the Spirit of God. Some of you have just continued to praise God and thank God, even though you're in the midst of suffering. You found joy in the midst of pain. And in all types of circumstances and situations, you could give testimony and say, you know what, I don't know how in the world I did that, said that, accomplished that, or made it through that. It was God, the Spirit, on the inside of me. Are you filled with the Spirit? Here's some diagnostic questions for you. I'll end with this. Here's some diagnostic questions for you. Are you confident that you have been baptized by the Spirit and that He indwells in you? Are you confident that the presence of God resides in you? Not just, we don't just need to believe in a God that lives far away and did something far away in a far away time. Do you know and are you confident that the Spirit of God indwells you? And the way that you know that, if we go back to the beginning of this sermon, is the Holy Spirit active in your life? I talked to you in the first part of this sermon about the activities of the Holy Spirit. Can you see those things happening? Is he leading you and prompting you, convicting you, all those different things? And, and have you been empowered by the Spirit to serve, to share the gospel, to build up the body of Christ, to live on mission? You see, these are, these are questions that you could ask yourself about, about God the Spirit. And, and does he dwell with you? I want us to stand at this time, and I'm going to ask you to all, every, every single one of you, I'm going to ask you to pray a specific prayer. I'm going to ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes, and I'm going to ask you to ask the Spirit of God to fill you. I want you to do that right now. I want you to ask the Spirit of God to fill you. In order for that to happen,